So just know I'm really gullible. I'm like serious. I'm like one of the most gullible people you've ever met. All right. I will. I promise you not to take advantage of that. <laughs> Welcome to Show Up or Shut Up with Wendy Solganic, also known as Willa.Wanders on Instagram. This podcast features real and raw conversation about the lives of prolific makers. What is really happening behind all of those gorgeous photos of art on Instagram? How we came to be prolific makers? What makes us consistently show up? and the very real challenges that we all face. This episode of Show Up or Shut Up is brought to you by my online course, The Willa Journals Course. Learn everything you need to know to make one-of-a-kind, bespoke, mixed-media mashup journals. And by The Bookmaker Collective, Discover your bookmaker confidence as you learn new bookmaking techniques or reimagine old ones while creating and constructing artisan books from start to finish during online weekend-long live workshop experiences. I received a letter by DM in Instagram and I wanted to share it with everybody. So it's from Catherine, and here's what Catherine has to say. Hi, I just listened to today's podcast, and boy, do I feel seen. I feel like I've dabbled in almost every craft slash art form and even call myself a serial crafter. Part of me wishes that I could stick to one medium. It would be so much easier for so many reasons but I get so bored that it's almost a physical reaction. For me, my latest casualty is embroidery, and I even taught classes on it, but I can't even look at it now. I'm into bookmaking and collage now. I hope somehow all of these crafts will collide into something sustainable. Just wanted to thank you for the podcast and hitting on a subject that really resonated with me. Well, Catherine, I just wanna thank you for writing in to me because you have no idea how much these letters sustain me. And just knowing that there are other people out there who have similar personality traits that I have makes me feel better about my own weird and wacky personality. So guys, if you're listening, please keep those letters coming. I love to read them in the podcast. And I love that, you know, we can all kind of gather around this unusual personality trait that we have. And we can discuss ways to thrive with this personality type instead of beating ourselves up over it and feeling bad about it. And I have a lot to say about you know, this whole prolific maker, serial crafter thing. So we'll just, we'll keep the episodes coming. I'll keep interviewing people. And I'm excited to bring you guys today's interview because it's just someone who I know is going to have a lot to say on this subject.
Our guest today is Seth Apter. Seth is a mixed media artist, instructor, author, and designer from New York City. His artwork has been exhibited in multiple exhibitions and can be found in numerous books and national magazines. He is an instructor at Pratt Institute in New York City, and his live workshops have been held throughout the United States, Canada, Mexico, Australia, and Europe. With travel restricted due to the pandemic, Seth has transitioned to traveling the internet. With frequent online demos, classes, and artist interviews across social media channels, he has published two books, The Pulse of Mixed Media and The Mixed Media Artist with Northlight Media. Seth is also a designer working with many companies and currently has product lines with Impression Obsession, Stencil Girl, Paper Artsy, Wow, and Aladine. Why don't you say hello, Seth? Hey, everybody. This is Seth. I am so excited to be here talking to Wendy and having you guys listen in on our conversation. Awesome. So... I always ask everyone who comes on my podcast if they would like to make art while we talk, and if so, what it is that you'll be working on. So feel free if you're, you know, sitting in your studio and you want to create something while you talk. That's totally, I'm down with that. Um, and if if you were making something, what would you be making now? Well, if I were, and now that. Um... I'm reaching over and grabbing one of my journals. I think what I would do is do what I do often when I have conversations is I do some mark making in my journal. So for me, it's I, I, I can't focus on say, creating a page or painting or collaging if I'm having a conversation, but I can absolutely mindlessly mark make, which is my most um, happy way to mark make. So... I am the same way. I can't do something that requires a lot of concentration. Yeah. But I can do something that's mindless. And in fact, if I do something mindless, I'm more able to concentrate on the conversation somehow. Like I'm less nervous. Ah, yeah, I get that. Because it, it just, yeah, it occupies some part of my brain. That makes total sense. If you hear noises in the background, it's me getting all my supplies. Cool. So I like noises in the background. Okay. <laughs> Probably on other podcasts, they'd be like, stop making those noises in the background. Yeah. But on my yes. podcast, I'm like, please make your noises. Make those because noises. I want to I create in community. And that's something that we talked about when I went on your Facebook Live um, a little over a week ago was this idea of how important it was to both of us that we create in community. And I was kind of wondering just as an opening, if you could talk about how that developed for you, like how did you become aware of that? And then what did you do once you realized it? Sure. I'm happy to talk about that because community is so important. And, you know, we, I think we both knew that about each other, but we really discovered it and, and explored it in that Facebook live. Um, my whole way of getting into the art world to begin with from the very beginning was community based i was not a person who as a younger younger person or even early adult was 
creative in terms of a visual way. So I never made art when I was younger. I never had an interest in making art. I did love art because living in New York City, you're just surrounded by the best art in the, you know, dare I say, the world. So um, for me, the way I fell into art, and it's a long story, but I'll give you the shorter version. Basically, it was the year well, two that. Can I stop you? I actually want the longer version. I'm really curious about it. But anyway, keep going. <laughs> okay, so I'll give you the long. I'll give you the long version. So, uh, all right. So picture this: it's the year 2000, and I am traveling on my own, and I went to the Pacific Northwest. I'm from New York City, um, and I had never been to the Pacific Northwest, but I'd always really wanted to go there, and so I, I planned this trip. It wasn't the first time I traveled on my own, but it was one of the first times that I really went exploring on my own. So it was a it was a long trip, and I made three stops. My first stop was in Portland. My second stop was in Seattle, and my last stop was going to be Vancouver, Canada. So I was having this amazing time, just li- you know, living my best vacation life in Portland. Went to Seattle, and then went up to uh, Vancouver, and it was you know I was gonna leave and come back and just get back to my real life. When I was in Vancouver, I was uh, walking down the street and saw that I had happened upon this area where there were a lot of galleries. And although I never made art, I, again, loved art, just loved it. So when I saw this one particular gallery, it really reminded me of New York City. At that time, the, the gallery scene was in Soho. And this place just had a really cool aesthetic in the window. And I love abstract art and that's, that's, I could see in and see that that's what that was about. So I went in and I was immediately struck in a way that I had never really been struck before in a gallery. There was just something about the whole vibe of the gallery and the artwork that just spoke to me. And it basically was, um, I guess it was mixed media. It was a lot of texture, a lot of uh, it was all abstract. It was very muted in tone, lots of whites and creams and touches of other colors. And there was encaustic work and plaster. And it was just really interesting to me. So I looked around and um, I asked the woman who was working at the gallery if she could tell me a little bit about the artist. She introduced herself. Her name was Patricia Larson. And it turned out that she was both the gallery owner and the artist. So I happened upon the actual artist. So not being in art then, that was an unusual thing for me to sit and talk with an artist, but there was just something about her that was very welcoming and she just was so easygoing and generous with what she was saying. And I, I just, I kind of fell in love with her. I fell in love with the art. I fell in love with the gallery. I spent a couple hours in there. Nobody else came in. It was just really, really quiet. So I ended up buying a couple small pieces uh, and I brought them home and I you know, finished up my vacation on a high note. And then I just got back to business as usual. And then about, I don't know, maybe two, three weeks later, a month later, I received um, something in the, in the mail from her. And it was a postcard. It was a handmade postcard. And it was a postcard that basically said, um, you know, thank you so much for buying my, my art. I hope you enjoyed your visit. I hope you enjoyed living with it, that kind of thing. And I was just so really touched by the fact that she took the time to send that and also that she sent me like a piece of art. You know, this is just not a random store-bought postcard. So I decided, you know what, um, this experience was so good. I couldn't just 
you know, send a postcard back or write her a letter. I had to make something. So I basically made a handmade postcard. And I don't even, honestly, I don't remember what it looked like, but I, I think I kind of copied hers. And I, I sent it and I thanked her and, you know, that was the end, went back to living. You get in the long version, just as a I'm reminder. I'm loving this. Okay. I'm, okay, just keep keep talking. All right. Um, so about, I don't know, two or three weeks later, I get something else in the mail from her. And I'm like, oh my God, what is this? And I open it up and it's a, um, it's an envelope. It, it was a book page, like a vintage book page that was painted. And I'm like, oh my God, this is so cool. This is like, oh my God, like what is happening here? And then I'm like, and I think I can say this on your podcast. I'm like, oh shit. Now yes, I gotta you make... definitely can. Yeah, okay. Now I got to like get a vintage book and figure <laughs> out how I can paint this. Because I didn't know anything. Like, I seriously, I didn't know anything uh, as a maker. So, um, and just to let people know, were you like, how old were you? And were you working as a professional at this time? Okay. So at that time, um, I was 40. <gasps> no. Yeah, I'm an old man. Shut the front door. I would so, have said you were 40 right now. <laughs> yeah, I am the I am, if you can believe it, the big six oh right now. I don't believe it. So, okay. All right. Wow. All right. So this is 20 years ago. This puts everything into perspective. Wow. Okay. All right. Yeah, it's so. crazy, right? So I I've been debating whether instead of saying um like in being true well, I'm always truthful, but I said, you know, I could stop saying I'm 60 and say I'm like 50 or 40, but I'd rather look great at 60, then somebody to say, oh, he's 40, but he looks like maybe he's 45 or 50. So I'm okay with, you know, yeah, with, uh, everyone having that shock. Fine. <laughs> I'm just fine with it. So, um, so I went out and I actually remember this. I went into, uh, we don't really have five and dimes in New York City, but I went into this shop that like a stationary store and I bought basically a really cheap kids watercolor set. And I got a book. And I tore the book page out and I, again, just made something and I sent it back to her. And I, I think, you know, maybe you can guess where this is going, but she then sent something else to me. And this, I didn't know at the time, this was mail art, but I didn't know that. So this became an ongoing process where I swear to you, it was probably about four years where we consistently kept sending things back and forth and they got bigger, badder and better. I mean, they think like made just inc some incredible things. I have all of them. She has all of hers that I've sent her. And we've actually talked about maybe at some point doing some sort of um, exhibition of them. Um, in this process, she taught me art. And yeah. she taught me more than that because she's just a really special person. And we became really good friends. I became really good friends with her and her family. Um, just a couple of years later, we, we went to Italy together. Uh, we traveled. All, we've really traveled all over together and, and we've, we've over the years maintained this relationship where we're really good friends. At some point though, the mail art stopped, but not before I was hooked. And so this became, so I don't know, I can't remember. I know I told you my age, that kind of got me off track. I, I was a full-time psychologist. So that was my former career or my, my career at that time. So for me, when I discovered art, it became this, absolute I, I don't even want to say therapy per se it was just my escape um from from what i did during my real day job and it was just a hobby and it was fun but it was 
passing this back and forth with Patricia. And at that time, at some point in that time, there were, there were you guys probably remember, there were, um, I don't remember all of them, but there were Yahoo groups. And they're like, the internet started to like really come into its own. And, and so I joined all these Yahoo groups where you would, as a group, work on a project. Like they were called decos, friendship books kind of thing. And like, there'd be a theme and anyone who wanted to join the theme could. So like the theme was blue. So I joined the theme and there were maybe eight other people in my group. And we would each make a little mini book. Book is almost exaggerating, like, because it was so simple, the structure. And then we would mail it and then eventually, in theory, get it back. So I probably did about, no exaggeration, 50 of those, but Whoa. I probably probably only got back maybe 15 or 20. You know, these were people who I didn't know, and I don't know. So um, that was ultimately frustrating, but it was also a community. And then at that time, you know, blogs were big, the long-form blogs, and I connected with lots of people on the blogs. And I began to do collaborations with artists. And over the years, I've done a ton of collaborations, sometimes one-on-one, -on -one, sometimes a group of 10. Ultimately, when I got kind of my own blog, and that was 2007, and a, my own community, I started to do these really big, you know, 100 plus, 200 plus um, collaborations. So really from the very beginning, I, I don't know art as the guy sitting in the studio making it with nobody there it's always been about community and connection for me. And so that has just become the kind of the centerpiece of what I do and how I look at everything. When, when I um, create art, when I think about uh, how I wanna spend my time, when I make the choices uh, of, you know, what I'm gonna focus on in, in my career, it's just, it's always, it's always community. Well, that explains a lot. <laughs> um, during this time, did you start looking for workshops that other artists were giving to further your knowledge of materials and techniques? Or was it literally all just based on your experimentation? Well, um, a combination. So uh, part of it was my experimentation, but certainly that was driven by all the amazing things that were mailed to me constantly by Patricia. So in a manner of speaking, that was almost like a workshop. But at some point, I, um, I kind of started to realize, you know, I'm really liking this, I, I need to have a little bit more education on this, and a little bit more uh, understanding of sort of the right way to do things. Um, and so the thing that I had fallen in love with at that point, were uh, was book arts and, and handmade books. And so uh, the first time I ever took any classes, and I took quite a lot of them, uh, were um, was at the Center for Book Arts in New York City. Mm -hmm. And I learned how to make, you know, the proper book. And uh, I, I took classes on, on making boxes on all the different kinds of bindings. Um, and it's interesting with the Center for Book Arts there. It's a great place. But I will say it's, it's, in some ways quite hardcore. So, you know, you take a class and you end up after that, say a weekend class, you have a book and it is a perfect book. It is like you've been making books forever because they are on top of you, like measure to the millimeter, you know, recut those papers, that's not gonna work. You know, they are very exacting, at least- the They're not making messy No, art. not at all. No, okay. 
So um, I really, you know, at that time learned these proper ways to make these books. And I was making a lot of them. And, you know, I was at the point where like people sometimes ask now, you know, like all the naive people, like, well, what do you do with all that stuff? Like, why are you making art? Like, what do you do with it? So I, I was giving away my books as for presents. I tried at that point, I tried to journal on my books, but I was an abysmal fail failure at journaling. You know, I would be great for three days and then skip it for a week. You're and saying then go back written to it. journaling, written like, journaling, written yeah. journaling. Okay. Yeah. Like, and, and, and then I just felt bad about myself. So I put the book away and then, a month later, I would grab another one and try again, and it just never worked for me. So um, at some point, I realized, you know, I love books, but what I really like, I don't want these blank books. I want to make books like artist books. And I want to make, because I was exploring mixed media, I want to make mixed media artist books. I want to make the books that break all the rules, the ones that don't hold, don't follow, you know, who cares? I don't want them to be measured. I don't want them to be even. I don't want them to look crisp i want them to be like overflowing and messy and threads all over the place and tabs and just anything that was not what i would have done at center for book arts at least in again the classes that i took um, i'm sure they have a lot of classes that are you know less precise um, but i that's not what i took and were so were you seeing this somewhere like were you seeing photographs of it maybe in magazines were you did you know people and you were in your life who were making messier things or was it just kind of like coming from somewhere inside of you i think this was um the time where um some of the magazines from stampington started to become really popular uh, like somerset studios and um a book that i talk about frequently and i i, I bring up a lot and i'm always surprised although i don't know why i am at this point that a lot of people don't know about it. Uh, it. There's a book that came out, I think it came out in 2002. It's called True Colors. And it is a book, I don't know, you may or may not know about it. It's a book that, um, it was a, tw a group of 12 women, 12 amazing women who got together and they did this uh, journal exchange where everybody made a book and they all identified a color. And their colors weren't always traditional. So while somebody had a white book, like someone else had a book and their color was called Forest Floor. You know, it was kind of oh, a little wow. different. And they um, did this and they traveled, you know, the books traveled around for the, a year and, and eventually they decided to publish it, which wasn't their initial goal. That wasn't what they did. And they put out Stampington, the people behind these magazines, put out this book called True Colors. Um, and it was really the first time I had seen anything like it. And basically, it's kind of what I was talking about, the wonky, messy, um, free-for-all. And the, I mean, all of these women became my, my superheroes to, to say the least. And it totally that, I mean, I, I literally, I'm not kidding you. I have the book literally sitting next to me right now. I just looked over and saw it, um, you know, in one of my big piles and it totally redirected me um, to, wow. to make things like that. And then I think also there was a group, uh, you know, when you started exploring online, Again, the long form blogs, which were really popular then. Uh, you, um, I, I kept seeing more and more of work like that. And then that I was off. I was just, I was off and running. And honestly. But obviously you're still working full time. You hadn't transitioned. Not at yet. all. Not at all. No. So how did that develop? Well, you know, when I first started art, 
you know, I looked at it, looked to it, as I said a little while ago, as kind of my escape. So um, I will say, I'm going to add something because it might also, like, I know you like, you're very curious and you like to understand things. And so um, when I, when I was in New York working as a psychologist, I was working at a, 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 at a big, really big hospital here, Mount Sinai Hospital. And what I thought I was in, what I, what I was in was my like life job, my lifelong job. I just was very happy and content. And I worked in uh, physical medicine and rehab. So the, my clients that I worked with were clients with brain injuries and spinal cord injuries and strokes and dementia and brain tumors. And it's a very, very, very intense job. Um, and then to, um, uh, in the midst of all of the stuff that started happening, 9-11 happened as well. And I was working at the hospital that day and dealt with the aftermath of that in the ho- as, a, as a psychologist in a hospital and then also living as a, as a New Yorker and just dealing with that. And I volunteered f- for the Family Crisis Center for the families who lost people. And it was a very intense time and art, art really became um, something I looked to. And so I made a conscious decision at that point that art was always going to be a hobby and my escape. I didn't want it to be my job. Lots of people would say, well, why don't you do like art therapy? And I'm like, no, I don't want to, I don't want to ruin art by making it a job. Like that's not the goal. But what ended up that happening- That is a surefire was, way to ruin art sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? It is. Um, it is. And I've heard those stories too. I, I just intuited that, but I just, yeah. Um, so over the years, as I was- throwing myself into this full on because I when I do something I I you know it becomes like a, a little bit of an obsession for me no um, yes <laughs> I'm no. familiar with that I think we had we might have <laughs> even had this conversation like I can't there's always one thing I have that like consumes me and oh I'm the know, exact I, same way yeah so it, it's pretty funny like I I, I if I'm going to do something half-assed I won't do it right it's just, exactly just, why do it's it not, why do it? Why do it? You got to be all in and all in is like, <laughs> you know, not a hundred percent. It's like, you know, 3000%. Yep. Yes, exactly. So, you know, I, I started a blog and um, the blog, actually, let me throw in a little another, another story that connects to this whole true colors phenomenon. So I started my blog in August of 2007 and, and because I didn't know better, like to me, uh, you know, it was all about community. So within a few months, I decided I was going to do this project that I called the Pulse, P-U-L-S-E. And the idea was to ask interview questions of other artists. And, but I wasn't going to just ask like, you know, what, what's your favorite supply? Although I would ask that. Being the psychologist, I wanted to like get in the brains of creative people and like, you know, things like, have you ever had a, like, had a, had a, um, problems with your family because of your art or you know have people stole you know like really want to like dig deep and so I decided to do this thing called the pulse and I invited a bunch of people um and I've always been this person I don't know who doesn't think anybody's better than anyone else or worse than anybody else so like I just decided like no one knows who I am except for maybe the people whose blogs I commented on but you know what I want to do this pulse I want to make it good so i'm going to write to every every idol that i had in true colors all these women 
who like I had just like loved from afar. And maybe some of them knew me a little bit because of their blogs and stuff. And lo and behold, a majority of them said that they would participate. And because of that, several things happened. One is um, I learned a lesson, a life lesson that, you know, at that time I was thinking, should I ever, should this ever become bigger? Anytime anybody sort of wants to get information from me or, or, or who needs a lift so that, you know, other people will get to know them better online, that I am going to be like these women and support them. And then the other thing um, was that because they're so well known, you know, lots of other people came to my blog who wouldn't have come otherwise. And so it just really took off. I did the pulse, I think, maybe four or five times. The last time I did it, I think I had about 250 participants. It, it got really big, um, but still a hobby. Wait, but so all- was the pulse like a feature on your blog where you would interview these sort of more more well-known artists within the mixed media community or was it something else? It, um, almost that. Basically, I, I, anybody was welcome to participate. So you didn't have to be well-known at all. I just basically put out a call and said, anybody who wants to do this, basically what I did was I sent them a list of questions and um, they had to answer the questions. Sometimes they answered it with words. Sometimes they answered it with an image. Like, like what's the your favorite piece of art you've ever made? Or what is the thing you like least about the art community? Or, um, you know, what what do you what like hurdles have you had? That kind of thing. And then, so you know, in the beginning, the first one I did, I don't remember how many I had. I'm going to say I had maybe thirty or thirty-five people, but it it just kept getting bigger and bigger. And um, taking more of my time, but. I'm really good at multitasking and I'm, I have a really good work ethic and, you know, I can, I'm happy to work around the clock. Like that doesn't phase me at all. So I was doing this and it was getting bigger. I still had no interest in making this a career. And then I get an email one day and it's, it's so funny because when I think back about this, this is like the stories that like that proved to me how important the internet has been for me. Like I certainly wouldn't be talking to you or anybody listening if it wasn't for that. So I get an email. And at that point, I was getting emails, like random emails from people. Because that happened. You know that happens, right? People who don't know email and send you questions and stuff. So I got an email. And it started with, hi, my name is so-and-so. I came to your blog from someone else. And I saw that you did this project called The Pulse. It seems so really cool. Have you ever thought about turning it into a book? And I'm like thinking to myself, well, no. But yeah, maybe. But I'm still thinking this is just some random person who I didn't know, like being really nice. And then I continue reading and it's signed by an acquisitions editor at a publishing house. Wow. And I'm like, oh, she really wants me to turn this into a book. And so I connected with her. Her name was Tanya. Um, and um, it led to me turning the pulse into actually two books, two like legitimate published real life books. And when that happened, it kind of was a turning point for me. People had asked me to teach before that. And I always said, no, I didn't have time. I didn't feel ready. But now I'd been in like doing this for about 15 years because I started in 2000, even if it was like very loose. And I had my blog since 2007. This was 2012 when the book came out. And when the book came out, I did my own sort of book tour and I started to teach. I was actually like pushed into teaching by uh, a woman named Anna who owns the Inkpad in New York. She's like, I've asked you so long. I'm, I'm, I'm just putting it on my 
I'm, I'm just putting it on the site. You better show up. That's funny. Um, and I had already taught a lot. That was part of my job at the hospital. Um, and so I was comfortable teaching once I felt like I knew, like, that I wasn't a fraud. And I used to joke with people, like, you guys do know that, like, I don't know, I know nothing about art, right? Like, I'm not trained. Like, you guys paid me. You know that, right? You just, I want to make sure you know that, that, like, I'm not real. Imposter syndrome. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think everyone has it. Definitely. I mean, and lots of people continue to have it. Even people who, from the outside looking in, without question, should not have it. Um, As an aside, in part because of 9-11, I basically around the time of 9-11, I stopped working full-time at the hospital and I started to work in private practice, my own private practice. It was just like one day a week, actually started one night a week when I was working full-time. And then I, I combined my hours and I stopped working Friday at the hospital and I started a one day practice and that practice just built. And so as that practice built, I, I cut down my hours to half time at the hospital. And eventually I went full time on my own in my practice. Now, the beauty of that ended up being that I had control over my time. And so, you know, I was, I was able to like in the beginning, well, when art became more important to me, like get like have not schedule on Friday. So if I taught, I could travel three days, like leave on Friday, come back on Sunday kind of thing. Oh, everything is starting to make so much more sense now because <laughs> I was like, I don't even understand how you just went from like a full time, yeah. totally kind of secure income situation to you're a traveling art teacher. But <laughs> this makes so much more sense. Yeah. It happened from, gradually. It was very gradual and it was a very, um, it was a real transition and it was really thought out. Um, and still for, for a very long time, I had not thought about making this a career. Well, certainly not a full-time career, but at some point I'm like, you know what? Psychology has been amazing. I spent a lot of years learning. I spent a lot of money learning. I spent a lot of time building up my own practice. You know, I live in New York. I always say it's not cheap here. You like, if you're going to work up for yourself, you got to make sure it's going to work. But I had yeah. all these experiences that sort of led me to being a full-time artist. One is that I already had my own full-time private practice. So I understood what it was like not to have a guaranteed check, to have to pay for my own insurance, um, to work for myself. By the by, I can't ever imagine working for somebody else at this point. I mean, if I have to, I would, but... Um, it's so worth the risk to make that leap. But I also knew that if I was going to leave the practice and work full-time as an artist, I needed to make sure that that was going to be a, um, that was going to guarantee an income that I could live in New York. So, um, so it was never year- a question for you. Like I, I, maybe I'd have to move out of New York city and I'd be willing to do that. It was like, that's, no, that's, I, a, I, that's a pretty big leap and a pretty big jump. Cause I'm from the tri-state area and that's not a joke. No. So, you know, yeah, but no, I don't know. I mean, who knows later on, but as I, as I continue to get older, but you know, I've, I, I prefer not to leave New York city as long as I can live here in a way that I can, 
you know, like as long as it's, I can live here, you know, I'm not saying extravagantly, just comfortably. Yeah. Like I want to be here for now anyway. So, um, uh, year after year for maybe three or four years, I kept saying, you know what? Um, I think maybe like I had a full-time practice, I'm not full-time. Um, well, I started to like, when patients left, I started not to fill the slots. So I went from five days a week to four days a week to three days a week kind of thing over the course of years. Um, but, you know, if I needed to close a practice, I needed to give my clients a lot of notice. And, oh, yeah. Um, so, you know, I would say like, okay, in January of one year, I'd say, you know, maybe September of this year. And then it would get close to the time where I would have to make the decision because of my practice. And I wouldn't. All right, I made the decision not to leave. And part of it was fear, I think. Part of it was not wanting to give up the practice. Part of it was not feeling good about like going to my clients. And, you know, I, I mean, you know, a little bit of an older, older person, but not old by any means. So like nobody would be expecting me to retire. Like nobody who came on would think, oh, I better get, you know, realize this is only going to be short term because this, this guy is definitely going to, you know, need to retire soon. Yeah. So I, 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 I had a lot of, um, I don't know, I, I guess you'd say guilt feelings about that. Um, but at one point it just happened. I said, you know what, if I leave the practice, I have to do it this month. And I just knew I was ready. Like literally I just knew that that was the time and it hasn't been that long. Um, I think, um, I think it was November of 2018. So what is that? Two years and a bunch of months, two and a half years almost. Oh my gosh. I mean, at, by the point where I met you, which was a little over a year ago, I have no idea why, but to me, and I was brand new to mixed media, like you seem like someone who'd been around for generations, like not <laughs> meaning like you felt old. I just mean like the feeling around you was you've been doing this for a very long time. And, and in a way you have, even though you only started doing it full time a couple of years ago, you've been in this community for 20 years. Yeah. And Make you know, it. you know, I think um, in truth is that I was probably, I have probably been doing this full time for about five or six years. Yeah. Um, now, you know, for better or for worse, um, lots of my clients, um, well, two things about my clients when I was a psychologist in pra private practice. A lot of my clients were in the arts, not because um, that's what I pulled for, but because I'm in New York City. So lots of people are in the arts. So I had writers, I had actors, I had visual artists, I had um, musicians and stuff like that. It's just, it's just who you get. Um, and then because we have this thing called like, I don't know, Google, like most people knew what I did because I was all over the internet. Oh, you're saying they knew that you had this whole art thing. Yes. Yeah. Oh, now yeah. it took me a very long time to be comfortable with that. And in fact, in the beginning, when I started my blog, my blog had no name attached to it. Um, and for quite a couple, quite a while, you wouldn't know who I was when you came to my blog. You know, like some people have fake Facebook names and stuff like that. So that ultimately didn't work because, you know, people would 
refer to me and they happen to know my name and stuff like that. But I was very uncomfortable about that just because, you know, theoretically, when you learn, you know, in training, you're, you're supposed to be a blank slate and blah, blah, blah. Uh, in the world we live in now, that's near impossible. And I'm fine with it. And it became fine. And in fact, lots of my clients really appreciated the fact that I did that. And they would ask me questions and they would look to it. Um, and in fact, when I finally made the decision and had to tell the, at the point where I left, I, I really only had one day of practice left because I had already just, when, when people left, I just wouldn't fill the slots. So the little bit of the small group I had left, they all knew. And some of them, I mean, um, I think even took a lot from it, this whole idea of like, you know, it's never too late. You need to go and grab your dream. Uh, you, it's okay to take risks as long as you figure out risks that are comfortable for you and stuff like that. So the transition was not bad. You know, the nightmare that I was expecting didn't, you know, with, with a few exceptions, didn't really happen. Um, until the pandemic. And, <laughs> until the pandemic, yes. I have, I, I've had, had actually quite, uh, definitely some of my clients reach out um, since then. Um, but um, I, I, I feel good about the transition. And, you know, it's really funny because there are so, uh, my experience is that there's a whole bunch of creative people out there who start with the creative side of things. And then they get to the point where sometimes they feel like, uh, I, I don't want to put words into their mouths, but like maybe like they need to be doing something more important or they maybe they need to do something that makes their mark on the world a little bit better. So, you know, there's a lot of creative people who then later on, they actually get um, the job like as a therapist or, or like working for a nonprofit or, or doing something like that. And for me, a, I, I already did that. Like I've already done that. So I, you know, for me, not that I ever think art is like fluff or anything like that, but even if I did, there would be no issue for me. Cause I feel like I've already sort of in the opposite way. I've, I've worked in an area that's been all about everybody else. Yeah. But if you know me and know how I live my life as an artist online, really, it's still all about everybody else because I spend so much of my time by choice supporting other artists and highlighting other artists and trying to, you know, bring up issues within the art and 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 trying to make statements um, about how it can be done in a you know like charity is important and I have a little bit of a platform and let me use it in a way that actually can make a difference on some issues and um, and um, you know again go back to the true colors thing if somebody emails me I have no clue who they are. I always answer their email. If they ask me a question, if they need help, if they need some guidance. Um, so, you know, it's, it's again, it's community. It's still all about that. Well, for me, I struggle very much so with just questions that come into my own mind. Like, Wendy, is this really okay to spend all of your time? making mixed media art and journals like you could be working at a food bank you could be doing all sorts of other things you could be volunteering at your child's school you could, i mean there's just so many things that i that i could be doing um and i i, I don't exactly have an answer for it other than having this conversation with you reaffirms 
the thought that I have, which is helping people and engaging with people to just be happier people makes the world a better place. And I know that everyone who makes mixed media art is happier because they make mixed media art. And if that means that they go to the grocery store and they smile more at strangers or they're nicer to their spouse or their children or the person on the telephone that is providing customer service for them when they're angry, like it may not be something that I can measure, you know, is doing necessarily so much good in the world, but I feel that it's so positive in the world. Have you ever Uh, thought about that? A hundred percent. I mean, and for you, a hundred percent, just because you think about the people who, who look to you, who look to you for guidance, both from an artistic standpoint and creative standpoint, though, just by virtue of the fact that there's, I don't know how many, but there's at least one person out there listening to this podcast. Um, that means you're having an impact and making a difference. And, you know, when you were on my Facebook Live, all those comments about you being so generous and, you know, clearly there were people who or who really love you and look to you. And it's, you know, I don't think we needed a pandemic to make that true, but that just highlighted, you know, what um, people who are in kind of our, our role, what we can do and what not all of us, and that's fine, but many of us did do, which was, you know, offer these things to people. Um, When people needed an escape and they needed to forget and they needed a distraction and they needed something pleasurable and maybe with something with some beauty or not even some beauty, you know, journaling and making it really ugly because that's how they felt. Um, But I also think about, I definitely think about that um, for me as well. And I think that that's part of the reason why um, I can make some of the choices that I make, that I've made in terms of um, like what I want to focus on and stuff like that. So like this past year, uh, issues related to uh, like diversity and Black Lives Matter became so much more important to me. You know, I live in New York City. It's an extremely diverse place. I I feel truly uncomfortable when I go and teach in smaller towns and places, and like I notice every single person is white. Like yeah. that's just weird to me. Um, and you know, no way am I saying like New York is like this perfect place because there's so many issues there too but you know when I used to go on the subway you know when I traveled here you know it would be people from everywhere and you know more or less people kind of live together so that's just something that's always been around me and um, you know I've noticed that you know when I teach classes you know, there's a lot of times where, where we'll have a conversation in class about, oh, my God, there's so few guys that take classes. Like, you know, sometimes there'd be one guy in a class and they'd be like, you're the only one. And like, why is that true? And we have this whole conversation about it. Meantime, there was also maybe one black person in the class, a woman, usually. And no um, one ever talked about it. Yeah, no one ever talked about that. So when these issues became much more prominent I mean, they're always been there, but just right. so we were talking now. All of a sudden, we're talking about them every day. Yes, exactly. So I got involved with, you know, I was invited to get involved with some projects, and um, it's been really important to me um, because I do feel like, you know, I, I have, you know, call them what you want. Call, you know, 
I call them my peeps, but you know, followers, whatever, um, you know, lingo you want to use. But there are people who come to my sites and I can use my platform any way I want. So that's become kind of an issue for me. So one of the things I did this past year is for the first time after much debate in my own head, I started my own creative team. I don't call it a design team because it's very different. And I decided part of the reason why I want the design team, oh, I called it that, a creative team is because <laughs> I want to make some statements. So like I pay the people who are on my team and some, I'm not saying I'm the only person who pays, but there's a lot of design teams who don't pay, you know, they give product and that's fine. And yeah, there's, we could have a whole podcast about that. But for me, it was important that if you're working like as an artist, creative, and you're working sort of with me, for me, you should be paid. Um, there's no reason why you should do things free. Um, I specifically sought out a very diverse crew. So I have six people on the team. It's a small team. Uh, three are black. Um, one is Asian. Um, two, uh, one's, and two are, I guess, you know, white. Um, so that was really important to me because you go out there and you look at the design teams, you know, maybe there's a little bit more diversity now, but really, you know, there's, they're usually big, the companies, they're like 12 and they're 12 white women. So like, what is wrong with this picture? So it's been really important to me. Um, for whatever reason, I've grabbed, that's one of the sort of issues that I've gravitated toward. So no one knows this yet, actually. There's only one other person I told, two other people I told even privately. So I'm giving out a big scoop is I'm a, I'm about to have some um, products in my shop that are kind of specialty products that will be one of those, like, I haven't figured it out. I think it's going to be 20%, but I'm not sure. Like 20% of proceeds go to this. And the first two I'm doing, they're, they're, they're going to, um, you know, what would be looked at as, as, as sort of, um, you know, diversity um, organizations. Um, because I can, like, I'm in a position where I can do that. And, you know, I know for sure that I'll never feel like I'm just like um, not uh, like what you brought up before for you, like that, you know, I could be doing something more important. These yeah. things help me feel like, like I am doing something important. So fascinating. So can you talk about past the brush for some reason? I think I thought that you were the person who came up with that idea but I think I'm wrong now. You're definitely wrong. Yeah. Okay. Can um, you talk about that? Yeah. So um, all these things kind of happen right around the same time. It was really bizarre in terms of this. So um, uh, past the brush, it was a, um, was a uh, project that was started by two people. Um, Rachel Bellamy, who happens to be one of the uh, creative team members of mine. And Dina Wakely. Um, Dina Wakely's white, uh, Rachel Bellamy's black. So, um, and then ultimately for the event itself, Tim Holtz got involved as the MC. So um, he used his clout and certain, certainly big group of followers to get the word out even more. And what they did was they reached out to uh, both uh, artists of color and, and white artists and they paired them up. And so what would happen is each artist of color got paired up with um, a white artist who then gave them their Instagram account for, I forget if it was one or two days. Oh, I thought it was um, a week. That was a week. Yeah. But each, yeah. So each person 
got assigned. Yeah, yeah, each person got assigned a day. So like there were not everybody went the same day. Oh, I thought you gave someone your Instagram account for one week and they just posted as much as they wanted for one week. You're saying Was it a week? I don't know. Maybe it was. I don't know. I think it was two I well, that just shows you like I am sixty years old, so senior <laughs> moment. Um, um and the idea was to give amplify it voices. Was brilliant. I I was Oh my god, it was so brilliant. And it was yeah, it was phenomenal and um it really, truly, honestly felt, felt in the moment like this was making a difference. Um, it just felt that way to me. Like this was like a, an epic event that wasn't just like a blog hop, like where people would forget a week later. And the thing is, is that there's so many amazing, talented Black artists out there. Um, it's just that they're not always known they're not always followed they're not always found they're not the ones that are um uh, invited for whatever reason invited by the companies to design products um so they're but there are so many talent talents out there just incredible and and my eyes were opened and i met so many great artists and uh, it was so bizarre because robin mcclendon um is the woman i was matched up with so i was matched up by rachel um, and Dina, and they didn't know that I had already asked Robin to be on my uh, creative team. It was just this really weird, like all these things kind of fell into place together. Um, and then you remember, I'm sure, the Instagram day where there was a black yes, squares. Of course, how could I forget? You yeah. know, and that and that was like I don't know. I'm gonna say like a little controversial. It was because, very controversial. You know, yeah. Okay, very controversial. You know, all these companies, you know, doing, you know, doing it and not what's real, what right. they, yeah, you know. Um, so I kind of, in my head, I said, I'm, I actually grapple like all morning with, am I going to do it or am I not? <laughs> I think everybody um, did. I, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we did, right? So I did it, but I made a promise to myself that, because I knew what would happen, because it always happens. It's this issue and so many other issues it's like in the news, it's big. And then life goes on and everything goes back. I do not feel, I mean, I'm a white guy, so what do I know? But I don't feel like it's, it's completely disappeared. I think there are differences, but I just felt like as an individual, at that moment, I'm making a choice that if I'm gonna put that black square up- You're gonna make it meaningful. This is not about, yeah, this is not about that day. It's not about the black square. And that's when, you know, I went forward. I, again, I had already asked, um, uh, part of my design team you know that was already going on but that's when I decided you know what I'm gonna make sure that like if I'm doing Facebook lives you know I'm not just gonna ask like you know I'm gonna make sure it's diverse and I'm gonna go ahead and I don't need to rush and do this all at once I have nothing to prove to anybody you know my plan was I had my creative team that was diverse and then my next step I'm gonna do these um, product line things where I give toward causes that are related to the, that, that kind of issue. Um, you know, I'm in it for the long run because I think I'm, I don't know, I just feel like really fortunate that I'm in a position where, you know, I, maybe I can have a little bit of an impact on things, you know, that people do come to my page and I could be saying this or I could be saying that or I could be saying nothing. So I honestly, I'm never one for like huge, um, like huge, over 
I'm not an oversharer, despite the fact that I'm talking like this. Like you go to my Facebook page and my Instagram and all this stuff. I think you get to know me pretty well, but there's not that much personal information out there on me. I'm not one to like scream, like on Facebook, like I, I never entered my birthday. I don't want a big like birthday to do thing on my birth, you know, on my birthday, like with, you know, all these people saying happy birthday to me. I, as a psychologist, me, I can analyze that up the wazoo, of course. <laughs> um, but like, so I don't need to like be screaming like on the soapbox. I just want my actions to kind of speak for themselves. And you can like that or not like that. You can be, you know, um, put off by that, not put off by that. Um, you know, we all decide where we go and who we like online and how we spend our time. Um, and if you don't like what I'm doing, I'm, okay, okay. I don't like what everybody else is doing as well. So, I mean, have you, you know, ever had issues else, online where you felt like, hey, I have to make a choice. I just have to do me. Not everyone is going to like me. And I feel like comfortable with what I'm doing. And I'm just going to move forward. Um, I've, I've had, um, I will say, I don't, I literally don't think I've had any public blowback at all on this issue, past the brush and all that stuff like that. Literally, I can say I don't, now I'm not, I've heard from other people, they have. I, I have never had a single negative comment. Have I lost anybody from it? I don't know. Again, I don't right. care, but I don't know. Um, so I've, I've also been pretty fortunate with that. Now I do remember like, so I have this Facebook group, um, and I was in a bizarre twist. I started it in December of 2019. So when the pandemic hit, I had already had this structure going. And so it became a really, a big thing in my life. And I think a lot of people got very active in it over the, in that year. Why am I saying this? Oh yeah. So I purposely made the choice that I was, you know, it's my group. I can, I can do what I want. Right. So I, as we all know, you don't need me to tell you like this past year, two years, three years, four years, the political scene here has been like, so, you know, divisive and, you know, that's the nicest word I can use. So um, I made a choice that I was not going to have politics in the group um and for me it was it was less about like somebody making political art because there's lots of people who say you know artists they're making a political statement you can't keep them down and stuff like that so i have had some issues over the year um with people posting certain things that i've taken down and having really 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 strong reactions yeah. to that I've seen that um, in comments sure. that I've taken Not off. necessarily yeah. in your community, but I've definitely seen and heard things. Yeah. And it's really difficult to navigate this stuff. It is. There's there's really no guidebook. I, you know, reached out to some artist friends a bunch of times, going back and forth on what to do. And, um, you know, ultimately, I know it's my group. I can decide my own rules. And um, I'm, like, comfortable and confident enough in that, that, I'm okay with that. Um, but I also, I am, I'm a, I think just being a psychologist, maybe it was because who I was, I became a psychologist, maybe because I was a psychologist, I sort of became more this way, but I'm, I'm pretty sensitive to people's feelings. And I do my very, very best if I'm going to, like, whenever I take down a 
something, I will let that person know why, and I'll let the I'll I'll make the effort to let them know why and what I think is the most um, diplomatic. Yeah, diplomatic way, good word, and that sometimes works and it sometimes yeah. doesn't. And there's just a lot of angry people out there, as we all know. And some people, you know, I clearly was the fuse. Um, but I'm okay with that. You know, I, I, it's funny, like I, we talk sometimes as teach, I'm gonna, this may seem like it's a um, random tangent, but it's really related. As our teachers, you know, we talk amongst each other and like we, people have shared stories about challenges that they've had with students, for example. You know, any teacher knows that sometimes the dynamic in the group in a, in a workshop is, is tough. And I'm, I'm like always sort of like giggling, laughing out loud into myself because, you know, after all those years working as a psychologist, like, I'm like, throw, you know, throw it at me, like, go, go for it. Like, you can't touch the things that I dealt with as a psychologist in a rehab setting, you know, with a quadriplegic, like anything you throw at me, it still feels like fun and play. Like, I don't mean to minimize their feelings. I think you know I what I mean, I do right? know what you like, mean. It's like anything that could possibly come up in a mixed media workshop is very mild yes. in comparison to the real, like, intense life challenges that you've walked through, walked, like, you, that you've walked side by side, really, with people through. Yeah, I need you to, like, write my copy for me. Yes, you said that perfectly. Um Perfectly well. I will say that I have had a couple instances in workshops that required some pretty intense intervention. And it, it, it was related um, to politics. Really? Um, so it happened and, like and, within the last yeah. year? Wait, no. No, no, but it happened within the last four years. And it was political. Yeah, yeah, political and did, did yeah. was it just like people and, and, started and, and a little somehow racial talking too. about politics and it just you know you're in a room like a hotel like conference room with a bunch of people and then all of a sudden politics comes up. Um, yeah, let's see how can without, I do this without like, like... <laughs> without exposing anything? Just such an interesting. I'm going to say yes. Okay. Yes, that conversations. Right, because people are talking, started, right? And, like you're making art and you're sitting around yeah. a table and you're getting to know the people next to you. And all of a sudden something yeah. comes up and one person says something that maybe triggers another person. Exactly. And then it escalates. Wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh, Seth, in um, a million years, I would never have even understood like what is potentially going to happen when you bring a, a group of people together like that. But people do get triggered people definitely can get triggered you know and um i mean i feel like again lucky like i i i'm really a psychologist but i have but <laughs> i do have amazing. training so you know i can i can um i think i'm pretty good at diffusing um but you know sometimes it's it is diffusing which means like no, it's not making the thing go away you're just calming people down but the thing is still there correct like after correct after after the fact um but honestly you know and i say this but seriously i i don't know i just i feel so fortunate in in this world of art because 
I just, the people who are with me along on this, um, they are so supportive and the, the level of positivity so outweighs any right. negativity. You know, like I literally, I don't, I mean, I don't know if I could literally list them all, but there's been so few relatively like that, like I have no complaints. Like, like you think about like, and not like, think about like so many industries and I'm not like equating like, like all of us on the, on the mixed media route, like where we teach and travel, I'm not equating us to like um, actors or singers, you know, who are like, you know, huge, you know, millions of followers, but you know, you one you think of the, like the hatred and the anger and the abuse that they get like that, that nothing like that has come to most of us, you know. And it shouldn't. I mean, we're basically out there making art and making fun, entertaining experiences for people. Sure. Well, you could say that about the singers and the actors too. So, but, you know, and there has been a few things in our community, you know, over the, especially in the last few years that have been really, really, you know, like, abusive and and accusatory and really really wrong like some really really you know i'm not going to say anything specifics but so it, it's not that it doesn't happen but it's it's so rare relatively speaking so interesting i don't even know where, where to go with the conversation now <laughs> i think speaking to you i just know that we've spoken now for an hour and it feels like five minutes have passed <laughs> and there's so many more things that I would want to ask you about. And I, I just, I know that people have a certain tolerance for time. Sure. Um, so maybe we'll just have to Part stay two, to maybe? be continued. Okay. I think that I think sounds that, fair. Yeah. Yeah. This, this went by, by fast. really fast. I mean, I, I just do. I have so many more questions. I'm going to definitely go research that book, True Colors, yes. and find it because I really want to see it. And I want to find the artist. Maybe you could say her name again, the one that you had the exchange with where she basically mentored you and got you oh, into yeah. art. So her name is Patricia Larson. Is she still like a, a maker? Does she have an Instagram account or any type of way that she people does can have an see Instagram her work? account? Uh that is uh, her name and she moved from Canada and she now lives in Mexico. Wow. All right. So I'm going to look her up and then if people want to find you, which, you know, for me coming from where I came from and being so new on the scene, I can't imagine people don't know where to find you, but let's just say on Instagram, your account is. It's all my name. So it's Seth after. And then. A-P-T-E-R. And my website is, um, Instagram is, if you want to see my art, it's all art. It's very little anything else. Website, sethafter.com. If you go to the About page, that gives you links to my YouTube, Pinterest, Facebook, newsletter. That's, that can kind of be your, um, what do they call that again? That that tree thing, that uh, link tree. Mm-hmm. That, that idea. You can always find all the different sites I'm on. Where would you say you personally focus most of your attention where if somebody really wants to get to know more about 
you and the community you have and the products that you sell and which we haven't even begun talking <laughs> about. Um, but where would somebody like go where it's really getting, you know, the most of you? Cause I feel like people do need to concentrate on one form of social media. Yeah. So, well, if, if you're, if you're full on interested in art, like my art, then it's Instagram because my, I don't really say much on the, there. I don't post things. You know, if you look at my feed, it's very highly curated. It's all art <clears throat> with a few exceptions. If you're more interested in kind of getting to know me as like my personality and what I do and stuff like that, it's probably Facebook and it's my personal page. So it's Seth after really, it's not a business page. It's just you on Facebook. So long story short, <laughs> I have a Facebook page. It's called the altered page, which was my old blog name. And I have a lot of followers. I think I have 15,000 followers at some point, three or four years ago, Facebook changed the algorithm and my posts just were not being seen because they wanted you to pay. Yes. And I, I have never, I'm proud to say I've never paid for a Facebook ad, literally never, actually never on any social media channel. I've never paid for an ad. So um, I don't know why that makes me proud, but it does. Um, <laughs> so um, I just started to switch over to my Facebook um, personal account. That's what I use, which is, and I've been grappling all for years, how to turn the other site and make it useful. And I actually did turn it into it's called Seth after the traveling artist so that I would share all my travels. And as soon as I did that, we had the pandemic. <laughs> so I barely used it, but so don't go to that one. Gotcha. Like so you, can you just tell us a little bit like how often you go live when you go live and what sure. you talk about, because you have a whole thing going over on Facebook. That's very unique. So uh, especially during this pandemic, I pivoted that great word to online. So in my online hub is Facebook, my profile. So there's, I have no particular, um, I've sort of broken the rules. So you never know when I'm going to be there. I don't do like Mondays at two or anything like that, but I do Facebook live demos. I do Facebook live interviews like I did with you. I do Facebook lives. Like I'm just, it's Friday night. Let's all hang out together and just catch up I do um I have a shop so sometimes I do Facebook lives where I show all the, the different products in my shop um I do lots of them I usually and I often visit other sites and do Facebook lives like at independent shops or the jelly arts um so I'm usually doing it live probably three times a week that's, sometimes less that's sometimes a lot less. I mean if people are looking for ways to connect and not feel so isolated and alone, your Facebook is a great place to just yeah. connect with, with other artists and an art community. Yeah. And the, the other thing is on Facebook, I have a group, it's called Seth after creative community. Um, and um, I think there's a, there's like 5,000 plus people in it and certainly not all 5,000 are active at all, but I have a very active group very active. I mean, there are. Gotcha. So that's what I didn't understand. So you will go live on your personal page, but separately, there's a group of artists who independently of you are in communication with each other. Correct. And I'm there every day too, but it runs itself without me. I could probably leave for a month and it would not change at all. So I'm having the same experience where I started this course 
not that long ago called the Willa Journals course. Okay. Of course, I was like, okay, this is like a pretty big course. It's, it's, you know, not inexpensive. And, and it's a lot of content. So, you know, having a Facebook group is is appropriate. And at this point, it's running itself. It's like, it's just and it's a beautiful thing. And it's people connect with each other. They have very similar interests. They're, they're, they're doing what you're talking about, which is having these mail art exchanges with each other, where they're sending each other all over the place packages of materials for the journals, just so people can have a taste of, you know, what other people are making and possibly incorporate that into their art. And it's so incredible that I don't have to facilitate any of it. Right. People want to, they want to, yeah, they want to make these connections. It's kind of like in my mind, um, maybe a weird analogy, but it's like bringing up the kids. It's like at some point, you know, they're going to, do it themselves. They're on their totally own doing their... it themselves. Yeah. So, and you know, instead of taking, you know, X number of years, it takes maybe X number of months. But to me, that's a really successful thing. Like, I don't want totally. it to because I'm like holding it together. I want it to work because it's a living, breathing being. That's so a you... successful community. Yes, exactly. And you've, clear... you've clearly captured that as well. I got lucky. <laughs> <laughs> I no, I think it's more than that. <laughs> That's what I would probably say. And I'm sure someone else would say, no, it's more than that. So I'm saying that to you. <laughs> All right, Seth, I think we're going to have to call it right, quits. Wendy. You're a wonderful human being. And I hope everybody who doesn't already know who you are, which is probably goes and, and finds out, you know, the kind of art that you're making. It's so cool and learns more about you. And I hope to have you back on and continue this discussion. Thank you. I just love that we're connecting and connecting more. And I appreciate that you've given me a, like a megaphone here and perhaps a new group of people as well. Um, and honestly, I do these Facebook lives and I say, cause I always try to like be truthful. I say, you know, in some ways they're even a little selfish because basically I just got to hang out with you for an hour and 10 minutes or whatever and have this great chat. Like, and yes, there are people listening, but like, I just, it was fantastic for me too, especially during the pandemic. So thank you. All righty. On that note. All right. Talk to everybody everybody again soon. Bye, Seth. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Show Up or Shut Up. If you've made some art or craft while you listened, take a photo of it, post it to Instagram, and tag me at willa.wanders so we can see what you are up to. And if you feel like what we've talked about here spoke to you, press that subscribe button so that you're the first to know about all of the new Show Up or Shut Up episodes. Have a wonderful day and go make something.